0: It's time we make a pitch for reasonable discourse. Oh, it's a tough one, Gene. In this environment
1: that we live in, it's tough to have a reasonable discourse because most people don't seem particularly reasonable. Or or they are reasonable, but they get so emotionally wrapped up in things that reason sort of goes out the window and emotions take over. And that's always a dangerous path.
0: Well, in politics, of course, it gets pretty unreasoned at times. Certainly in this field it does because we have so many competing factions. We have the believers, the non-believers, the various shades of believers, each having their own personal belief system. And by the time you add it all up and you mix it up in the blender, you get sometimes a pretty difficult situation. Well, you get the range of human experience.
1: We've talked a little bit on the show about Robert Anton Wilson, the writer and philosopher, and and I like to think the really clear-headed thinker, though he probably would blanch at that statement. But Robert Anton Wilson talked about reality tunnels, that people basically perceived reality through a specific set of circumstances that was about their lives. And Robert Anton Wilson felt that all reality tunnels presented something of interest to someone trying to understand the universe, that if you really want to understand how the universe worked, that you would consider everyone's reality tunnel or their perception of reality to tell you something about the universe. Of course, the problem with that is that nobody can really be purely objective so even if you're trying to interpret reality as parsed through someone else's reality tunnel, it's got to go through your reality tunnel. It's all about perception. When we talk about paranormal stuff, and you know, just the term paranormal says that it's outside of the realm of normal experience. The danger with this is that if you get to the point where you believe you understand what's going on, now all of a sudden you are fitting the facts your vision and this is something that we see so much of I me mean, certainly in the ufo field there is this constant argument about are they ets or are they something else and i have to tell you at, at this point with all the discussions we've had with our guests and my own private discussions with people like get ready to take a drink jeff ritzman and mac tony's who i think is has got to be one of the most fascinating characters that we've had on the show and, and i'm really fascinated by the kinds of thoughts he's having about this topic, specifically with regards to, quote-unquote, the ET question, we have to try to remain open-minded about any and all interpretations about what this can be because, Gene, ultimately, and I said this on the show and I'll say it again, I think if we ever find out the reality of what UFOs are about, it's going to be far stranger than anything that anyone possibly anticipated i'll go along with that yeah i think that's a real distinct possibility and it's um i'd like to think that well you know you can you can think anything you can believe anything that's the problem i'd like to think that we as humans have the ability to understand all of these phenomena now ultimately i think a lot of people might think that that's just not feasible that these things are outside of our ability to understand anything and the thing is I know that with what I've been through in my own life, Gene, with the experiences that I've had and the things that I've seen, I have way more questions than I have answers. But I I have to try to remain optimistic and hope that maybe there's some way to get some understanding, to get some answers to some of the questions that come up in my mind. But I guess as we do the show more and more, and as we speak to more and more people, sometimes I... I think I'm I'm losing a little bit of that hope. I think that as I dig deeper into this, and as we continue to explore these topics, either I'm going to get more confused about trying to understand the things that happened to me, or ultimately, I'm going to get really frustrated. And I know that in speaking to people who have been involved in this for a long time, there is a very high level of frustration. At the same time, people who are interested in these topics keep coming back. I mean, you've been interested in this stuff all your life. <laughs> That's a lot of years. Yeah, but and you know, it's something that you keep coming back to. I, in most of my adult life, I've squelched all of my interests in this stuff. I've kind of put it in a little bag and, and put that bag away because I realize that trying to have coherent discussions about this would be really difficult because of the fact that the field is polarized into the debunkers and the believers, and it, it's sad that it has to be that way. Because what I'm finding is that we're making enemies on both sides. We're, we're right in the middle of this thing. And look, I don't know what's going to end up happening. It might get to the point where we have a real hard time getting people to come on the show because of the fact that we are, I think, trying to have a centrist view. But at the same time, you and I are, are human beings, and we have our own opinions, and we have emotions. And I know that on many episodes, I've gotten very emotional about certain topics, especially when we start to deter into politics. I mean, that's where my colors really start to show. And some of the listeners don't want to hear about politics, but I think that it's actually valuable to talk about politics when talking about the paranormal because I think there are lots of areas of crossover where you have people with vested interests, with their own private agendas, who, be- you know, people believe in a candidate or people believe in a, spe- in a certain political party or people believe in a certain political doctrine. And then ultimately, what what happens is that when you see these things in practice, maybe perhaps you get another understanding or, or a different appreciation of what's really going on. And I think
0: a lot of the same things can be said for the paranormal field as well. In case of politics, a lot of times people vote not because they thought out the issues but because they come from a long line of Democrats or Republicans or whatever. Right. They right. vote what their family voted, which, you know... I guess is as valid as anything, but they don't give a thought to what they're doing. In terms of the UFO field, people assume, okay, it's either spaceships or not real. There's no broad middle where there are many other possibilities for UFOs that may encompass many different variations. You don't hear that. You don't hear that at all. It's either going to be spaceships or nothing. Well, I think you do hear it, but you have to
1: search for it. And this is the hard part is expending effort. And time, trying to discover what these alternate sources of information are, who these alternate voices might belong to. That requires effort, Gene. And, and the thing is that for most average people, I think it boils down to simply not having the time or bandwidth to deal with these things. And, you know, I mean, you're a parent. You've got a, a, a child, though. He's off at college. I know that, like, my girlfriend has three kids who who are all younger And she's really fascinated about these topics, but she only has so many hours in the day to herself at all. And is she going to spend that time looking into these things? No. I mean, ultimately, at this point, the time that she and I spend together, I talk to her about the guests we have on the show. She's actually also a religious listener to the show. Hi, Susie um she uh hi Susie. how you doing well you know you get to call her susan not Susie, buddy excuse me hey she's my susie but you can you can call her susan actually you can call her
0: dr susan (laughs) sounds like we're going to do a tv show dr susan will provide her expert advice on the things that go bump in the night god knows she could she has some really interesting thoughts on a lot of the topics that we
1: talk about, but the thing is, as I said, I mean, she only has X amount of time to herself every day, and this is not at the top of her list. You know, you and I are maybe are are a little more obsessed with this stuff, and that's why we we make the time for it. But I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about these topics most of my adult life. Gene, it's really only in the last year and, and few months that I've really indulged any time on this topic, or on these topics, I should say, because it's all the different things we talk about. You know, we so often talk about things relating to UFOs on the show, but really, there are so many tendrils to the paranormal world, and for example, our talk with um, David Sonnenschein, I was so happy we were able to have him on, I'm so happy that people were able to find out about Arigo and Dr. Fritz but isn't it interesting that looking on the forums there was a lot of negative banter people saying you know I've never heard of this guy why should I believe this this all sounds ridiculous this sounds like those charlatans in in Korea palming the chicken livers or the Philippines actually not Korea but the Philippines where this is uh, the faith healing scam is pretty big but at the same time I'm so glad we got to talk about Arrigo because, as was said on the show, this is one of the best documented paranormal cases of the 20th century. And just because
0: people don't know about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Well, that's so, one of the things we do on the show. Exactly. Is to explore the things that you don't hear elsewhere discussed either in public, on paranormal radio, in message boards. We try to be different. In fact, the guest who's coming up next, I gather, is somebody who has some interesting points of view, and he has not been on all the other shows. He hasn't been on the talk show circuit. I don't think he's been on any of
1: the shows, and it's kind of interesting how we found out about him. He came onto our forums, and uh, this, this guy is a very talented artist and creative who... Uh, rose to a challenge and then discovered things that maybe he didn't want to know about in terms of the personalities and the players in the
0: paranormal world so it's going to be very interesting our talk with him today coming up next on the powercast
2: i have a feeling we're not in kansas anymore
0: We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine?
3: Yes, I sure can. Here's an offer for your listener. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues, not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast.
0: So Bill, how do they place the order? People
3: can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com they can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFO-MAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295.
0: Bill, give us that contact information again.
3: It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295, or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com, and they can also call 1 888 UFO m-a-g-a and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card
1: gene and i love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts with us send your messages to news at that's news at and don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums also please patronize our sponsors Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will, too. You're
2: in the Paracast. With Jesus and be anything you never know what's going to happen next.
1: Tommy Allison, why are you on the Paracast? Or maybe I should say, how did you come to be interested in things that go bump in the night or paranormal stuff? kind of stuff we talk about on the show
4: the reason why i got interested in this uh, sort of thing was uh as uh, as a kid my father and i we would see these kind of things and my you know it, it wasn't anything unusual to see these uh i mean i shouldn't say it wasn't anything unusual but we one time my father and i was about six years old we were out fishing and uh we were it was i think it was up close to uh, the canal which is a little spot north of geneseo illinois and uh I want to say this is probably 1975, 76, something like that. Anyway, we were fishing, and uh, we every once in a while you'd see something in the sky. You would first think it was a plane or whatever, but anyway, this this thing was just kind of a bright light and uh i couldn't tell how big it was i mean memory is what it is but uh i remember that that was the the source of a lot of discussions with my dad because uh my dad would tell me that he uh, him and his dad would see similar things when he lived in you know illinois uh, when he was a kid his dad had seen things when he would go fishing or be out and about and things like that and they were all kind of similar you know either it was like the the proverbial black disc or if it was uh or if it was just you know the light that you could couldn't see what it was in the dark. People talk about generational things with, uh, you know, families uh, all having kind of similar experiences or, or whatnot, and and I think to a, to a certain extent that is true. But that's that's only part of the reason why I really got interested in this because uh, when I was a little kid, I had a next door neighbor and I we had uh, we both had just got done playing or whatever, and both of us had coincidentally left our bikes in the front yard, and it was dinner time, so we were both going outside to go take our bikes back in and uh, and we both looked up the street and there was this pinkish person. It was walking uh, up the street to us, and we ran back inside the house. She went into her house, and I went to mine, and we yelled at her parents, and there's something outside, we couldn't explain it, whatever it is, you know, and all this stuff. Get a camera, and by the time we go back outside, you know, actually me and my parents and my friend and her parents are both outside, all looking up the street to see nothing. There was nothing there, but uh, the the unusual is something that I I find interesting because – so much that we see is, you know, what we are told is reality. But what if there's something more, you know? And if if there is more, then it would be it would be ridiculous not to investigate it. Because I mean, uh, the more knowledge you have uh, about your surroundings, the better you are able to, to deal with it. And but anyway, this is all. Yes, I'd like to ask you a question, Tommy. You say a pink person. Yeah, it was it was it was it wasn't really defined. It was more like this glowing pinkish thing and it looked like a person it was shaped like a person but it, it obviously wasn't a person and uh, because of it, it, it was like literally glowing and uh, it was just it was probably I would say no more than about 60-70 feet from us when we saw it hmm and uh, it was really weird too because uh, it was. Uh, I I'd give you the name of the other person. She would tell you the story. We, uh, you know, she's asked me several times since you know this happened. You know, if if I still remembered it, and I said absolutely. You know, it's, it's not something you see every day. And um, and then, like I said, within you know no more than a minute, it was gone. It just wasn't there anymore.
1: You both saw it, though. I mean, and you both, both saw it. Prob- you confirm that you both saw the same thing?
4: Absolutely. I, I would. Uh, I, I know that she got married, and I would give her name and number if I had it. But uh, I know where she lives, and uh, and you could probably get in mm-hmm. touch with her if you, if you wanted to, develop, you know, verify my story. But uh, it's it's one of those things where you uh, you know when you see something that that makes you question things. Uh, it it stays with you. It stays with you your entire life. It's like you know. Sure. It's no different than the people that say that, you know, they talk to dead people or see ghosts or any of that other stuff. You know, it's just uh, it is one of those things where you all of your perceptions are changed. You know, yeah. I mean, if if this exists, then well, wait a minute, then you know, there, there's obviously what else is going on, right? Exactly. And uh, and and I've, I've had a discussion earlier with uh, with David on the phone about that sort of thing. And uh, the unusual is something that I I. I take great interest in because um, the work that I do as uh, as an artist uh, is largely based in that sort of thing. It's uh, uh, it, I I make artwork of uh, superheroes and well now aliens and things like that and and uh, and I used to draw comic books for a number of years and uh, and and I and I still write of course but uh, this sort of thing is um, you know the things that are are fantastic. Compared to what you would, uh, you, you would, you know, you, by the word fantastic, I mean, you know, fantasy kind of things. These are things that you talk about that are, you know, everybody looks at as not being real. But what if, you know, they really are? You know, we had people like H.G. Wells writing stuff, you know, way back in the day about, you know, invaders from other planets and time travel and all this other stuff. And yet, we're starting to see some of this stuff today, and it's starting to look more and more like, you know, he may not have just been a, a science fiction writer. Mm-hmm. He may have been onto something a little more interesting. Sometimes. Well,
0: some people. People suggest that H.G. Wells was using that as a metaphor for various types of political commentary.
2: We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and join and Data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the
0: forum links at theparacast.com. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're welcoming artist, and I guess we'll call him experiencer, Tommy Allison, to our microphones. David. Well, is Tommy really of the mind that he wants to be called an experiencer? I mean, if you called me an experiencer, I'd hit you.
1: Um, Tommy, are you an experiencer?
4: Uh, do I think that aliens have visited me? Oh, well, eh. I, I can tell you some stories about some art directors I've known. But
0: uh, no. Speaking of which, you just mentioned, by the way, <laughs> that you've done well. We, we know about art directors uh, and some editors I know, but that's oh, yes. another story. David and I can share stories of editors. You mentioned comic books, any that we know about, by the way? <laughs>
4: Well, I, I used to do a lot of ghosting for some people that work for some different companies, and I'm I'm not going to say who, but I but I've done some of my own stuff. I uh, did some cover work uh, for this one company uh, called Artistic Productions Limited. They did this story uh, this book called Stiphon, Styphon S T Y P H O N. Did a cover for that, and I've been working for about the last six years on my own stuff. Uh, I've got a book that I'm working on called The Tween, and it's about recombinant genetics and cloning. But um, that's uh, that's the only professional comic book work I could say that I can I can actually lay claim to so
1: by ghosting you mean basically doing freelance
4: when people can't meet their deadlines and uh, and there's an opportunity to I guess you know extort money out of some people I'll You know, I'll I'll do the work. I don't get credited, but I'll I I get to do the work, and I do get paid pretty well. So,
1: so it's kind of like those script doctors that come at the last minute get paid a lot of money to try to make the movie coherent.
4: It's it's a lot like that. It's uh, a lot like that. But okay, uh, you're a panel doctor. I am. I am many (laughs) things. (laughs) <laughs> I, I work as a sculptor too, and, and I and I like I said I've done some comic book work, and I've you know done some special effects work for a couple of independent companies and uh, a couple of independent films, and uh, it's it's not so bad. It's uh, you know being uh, being an artist is a it's a good vocation. Unfortunately, they don't really look at it in the same way when you talk about this kind of stuff. Like when they talk about credible witnesses, you know a friend of mine and I we were driving back from Detroit uh, in 1997. And we saw some things that we couldn't quite explain in the sky. It was the same night that uh, they had the uh, lunar eclipse. I think It was March twenty third, nineteen ninety seven. We were driving back, uh, and we saw these three lights in the sky. And uh, they did some pretty weird stuff. And uh, there was they were like equidistant from each other on the horizon. And uh, right as the lunar eclipse happened, uh, one of them just did like this uh, this arc over top of the other one, and went straight up into the sky. And then the other one went straight up into the sky, and then this other one went to the left and it was disappeared. You know, we didn't see it again. And, uh, and and the thing of it is, is that, you know, if we were to have said, oh, my God, we saw a UFO and that kind of thing, they would probably look at us and say, well, where were you guys coming from? Well, we just came from a comic book convention. And then, mm-hmm. you would, then they would ask you, what do you do? I make stuff up for money. You know, I I, I create things that, you know, for fantasies for money. And uh, and so immediately your credibility goes right out the window. I don't know how Whitley Strieber does it, but uh, I myself would probably not have that much credibility.
0: Well, he took a lot of flack, I think, for it. And I think there's still people who think that because he was a horror fiction author, that somehow that got mixed up with his material shall we say
4: well I mean when you know getting back to the original question to what I want to be called an experiencer uh, <laughs> probably. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, when you say, right. "Well," they immediately assume the worst—that you've, you know, taken one for the team and been touched, you know, uh, in places that no real man has gone before. And uh, that's that's not something that I would I would lay claim to. If uh, if I had been abducted by aliens, I, I think I would like to know. And uh, but I would I tell everybody. Uh, No, I would uh, keep that very much to myself.
1: Well, the the thing is, and I think people who are listening to the show need to understand that when you live through a paranormal experience, when you see a UFO, and, and let's qualify what a UFO is, it's an unidentified flying object. So, you know, we don't know where these things come from. We don't know why they're here. We don't know what the agenda is. We know that they're flying. It's an object. It's unidentified. That's what we know. When these things happen, I can speak for myself and saying I never chose these experiences. I don't I can't even really say I wanted this. These things just happen and you know what are you supposed to do with it once it happens to you? I mean, I guess for a lot of people what they do with it is nothing. They just sit on it. They don't talk about it. They're afraid that people are going to think they're crazy. And ultimately what ends up happening is that I think for a lot of these people it eats at them. It kind of can not necessarily consumes them inside, but it's this nugget inside of them that's never resolved and i I know speaking for myself the things that i've seen and i've witnessed have brought me to the point where i find myself compelled to speak about these things i it's almost like a form of therapy to talk about it and i'm not going to claim that i've gotten any deeper understanding of what was happened to me by talking about it but it's nice to know that other people have seen things too there's some amount of security in in
4: Well, I mean, this is where I'm getting at, just so you understand. I mean, I, I, have, I have some photos of some things that I have seen. I have some video footage of the one particular thing that I have seen. And um, they are what they are. They are as tangible to me as the wind. That's the problem. You see, I can see right. what it is, but I can't touch it. I can't prove that it exists beyond that now it's about being intellectually honest about what you've seen or what you've experienced a lot of people when they talk about their experiences uh, having been with you know aliens or god knows what almost ninety nine point nine percent of the time they have no physical proof they might have a mark that they can 't explain they have no artifacts though they have no real proof tangible proof now'm not saying that you know absence of proof is not proof of absence but right to me i 'm very much an objectivist and uh, for me to say that i 've experienced something you know I can tell you what i 've seen i I can tell you what you know other things have happened, but uh, to offer up any kind of tangible proof. Or even, even, my, even from my own mind, you know, it's like uh, a lot of people, when they talk about the their experiences, they talk about it from hypnotic uh, regression. And we don't know to what degree the fallibility of that is. Yeah. A lot of people, I mean, hypnot, you can hypnotize people to do certain things, but you, you know, are you really recovering memories? I'm not 100% sure about that. So, the, uh, you know, from that regard, I'm, I'm on the fence. I mean... You know, if you were to ask me to tell you a story about how I was abducted by aliens, right? If you paid me enough money, I would tell you a story that would be convincing beyond all get-out. Because that is that is the nature of things. People will tell stories, you know, to, to communicate things. They, they do that. Everybody does it. You know, if you've, if you've ever told a white lie in your life, you're capable of talking about how you were abducted by aliens. When you talk about this sort of thing as being an experiencer, though, You know, some people they make money from it, and that's the reason why they do it. Another reason is uh, catharsis. You know, you want to feel good about an experience, and then you know, kind of that way you you know share it, therapy, that kind of thing. And then there's the the people that uh, like myself. You know, I see things every once in a while. You know, but I have to remain objective about it until they land in my backyard and and, you know give me a box of cookies or something like that to to share. Or pancakes,
0: pancakes, of course.
4: another one of my weaknesses uh, you know it's, it's it's as if you know you guys are reading my mind and of course if you do read my mind then that means you guys are part of the alien problem we are part of the conspiracy but before we explore conspiracies <laughs> in more detail
0: Fake magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www dot f-a-t-e m-a-g dot com what are you waiting for your fate awaits gene and i love to hear from our listeners
1: if you'd like to share your thoughts with us send your messages to news at paracast.com. that's news at paracast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney and we have Tommy Allison joins us. He's an artist, and he's had experiences, not an experiencer, he's had sightings and such. And we're talking about that and his background, and we're going to tell you a little bit about his encounter with one of our former guests very shortly. Before we do that,
1: uh, Tommy, you say you have video footage. Tell us about that episode and tell us about the footage, please.
4: Yeah, I can, tell you, I can tell you what time it happened. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. If I wanted to, I could probably go dig it out of the box. It's in a box with other stuff. We, we moved, so everything kind of changed. But anyway, this, uh, this happened here on uh, August 19th. 2004, and uh, there was an article in the newspaper about it too. It was a big, bright light in the sky, and I, and I kid you not, I, I've never seen anything this bright in the sky at night. And you know, I even on a telescope, and and this thing was just unbelievably bright. And uh, it was shaped kind of like a like an ice cream cone almost. It uh, it had this. You know, kind of a point and then it was rounded on the top and like I said it looked like an ice cream cone and it was in the sky for probably about 20 to 25 minutes uh, my wife and I we pulled up into our driveway and uh, got out of the car we didn't even notice this thing until you know we got out of the car and I saw it I was like what the hell is that you know we just sat there looking at it and my wife just was like you know she kind of disregarded the whole thing and so anyway, I go back outside with a camcorder and I videotaped this thing for about another 15-20 minutes and uh it didn't move it 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 appeared to get brighter and it appeared to get closer for a minute and then it would you know kind of go back to its normal vibrancy and its normal brightness and then it just winked out like it uh just like like it shut off it disappeared and uh it didn't like you know jettison left or right or whatever it just it just disappeared and uh and so anyway i have the videotape sitting here like i said but anyway, my wife the next day she's like, you know, hey, you know your uh, your little thing you saw in the sky. I'm like, yeah. Well, it's in the paper, and uh, I about fell down. I was really surprised that uh, it actually made the paper. It was on page B four of the Star Tribune Friday, August twentieth, two thousand four. What did, did
1: people it, report seeing the same thing? I mean, were, were the cons, were the reports? Yeah. Consistent?
4: About a couple hundred, a couple thousand people said that they had seen it, but there were reports, and they were all consistent. A lot of people actually took video footage too, as well, and uh, everything looks kind of the same, you know, except for mine was at three o'clock in the morning. But this was most of them were day sightings, which was which I thought was kind of. Is it being
1: seen during the day that day, and then you saw it at night? Yep. Yep. Did you try to contact any of the other people who had shot footage or had
4: photos of this thing? You're saying there was. I had no idea. I contacted the Star Tribune and they, they put me in touch with somebody. Uh, right. I left several voicemails, but they never got back in touch with me. Hmm. you know <laughs> when when one person sees it, that's fine. you know they they think it's a hoax. When a thousand people see it, it suddenly you know garners people's attention yeah
1: that's very different. um What color was the light tommy was it It was, it was like this
4: bluish white light. Uh-huh. It looked. It was white. It was bright white in the center, but it was like bluish around the edges. You know, kind of like a blue halo around it. When you say it was an ice
1: cream cone shape, are you saying that the bottom of it was that distended with relation to the top?
4: Well, you know, when we're, we're talking about ice cream cones here, you're talking about your <coughs> stereotypical. It's you know, like the big round of scoop of ice cream on the top and pointy cone on the bottom. But it was it was kind of like a short, stubbier cone. I, I, that's, okay. Yeah. You know, that's uh, I I use I use the uh, the term you know ice cream cone. I'm trying to scan something for you because I'm going to uh, go ahead and send, you, send okay. you the actual article so that way you can see it. Well, I just
1: That's think fun. it's useful for people to try to, you know, to have sort of a clearer visual. When you say ice cream cone, of course, in different parts of the country, the ice cream cones, you know, depending on who you go to, they, you know, some are going to be s- shorter and stubbier, some will be longer. But just in terms of the general shape, you're, you're saying that the bottom part, the actual cone, was not quite as long and distended as people, I think, would normally think of an ice cream cone as being
4: right it was it was more it, it would be kind of like if you were looking at a football from a, a three quarter angle you know right it, it would be it would appear to be round on the top but 20 on the bottom and uh and this thing like i said it was out there for you know 20 25 minutes you're
0: preparing this uh, maybe something we can put up over at the powercast forum so absolutely yeah
4: what i'll do is I'll, I'll email it to you after we've concluded that way um, you've got it and you can do whatever you want with it right did this thing make any sound tommy not a bit it was uh, well it looked like 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 it was pretty high up in the sky, probably, you know, maybe at least a couple thousand feet. It was way, way up, you know. uh, Like I said, at first, you know, when you first looked at it, you probably thought, hey, what in the world is that? It looks like a, you know, big, bright star, but it's not. It was was much bigger than a star. If you were to hold a, a, a dime out at arm's length, it was probably about as big as a dime. If you were to look at, you know, kind of that regard, if you were to hold a dime out arm's length, that would be how big it was in the sky.
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound like Venus to me.
4: Well, you know, could be Swamp Gas. Who knows? But, uh, you know... When I talk about things, because I mean I, I do have a telescope and I do look at the sky and and whatnot, and they, they talk about uh, objects being as big as they are. A good guesstimate, uh, you know, when you when you're talking about objects of size, you know, the way they talk about your apertures and things like that is, you know, how much of the sky do you see at arm's length if you you know if you hold your hand and right. uh, you know have a quarter out there or a dime or a penny or whatever, or even a, a pencil point. You know, it's this thing. Like I said. It didn't make a sound, and it didn't really even move. It just, you know, it it appeared to get brighter, and it looked like it had actually gotten closer. And then it uh, went back to its normal brightness, and apparently its normal distance, and then that was it. That was the only movement that it made, and then it winked out. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen.
1: I've got to ask a question, and I know, I I, I think I already know what the answer's going to be, but whenever anybody talks about shooting footage, I always cross my fingers and I think, tell me they had a tripod. Tell me they used a tripod. Tommy.
4: Did you have a tripod? I dropped the football, man. I, I oh. just, uh, it's just handy cam, man. Sorry. Yeah. That's okay, right. you're fired,
0: Tommy. That's it. <laughs> no,
4: hey, that's... hey, I do have a tripod, but man, you
1: know. No, you I, just basically reacted to the situation, grabbed the camera, went outside. I mean. Well,
4: if I would have yeah. been smart, I probably could have gotten the same thing out through my apartment window. I mean, it was just, you know, you could see this thing bright as day. You know, it was just the, the most bizarre thing in the world, you know, to, to see this. And then, you know, my wife saw it, and like I said, about 100,000 other people apparently saw it, too. But it wasn't just in Minnesota that people saw it, too. They saw it in Wisconsin, and they saw it, you know, in Illinois and Iowa Mm -hmm. and a few other places. So because my first thought, I thought, you know, could this be the space station? You know, could it it have been a space station with a a low orbit or something else? You know, but it uh, it wasn't the case.
1: No, not if it was the size of a dime. That space station would be coming down at that
0: point.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's got to come down sometime. But uh, I, that was my first life. thought. Maybe I'm seeing the, the space station. You know, was, uh, Well, as long as it's does come
0: in my living room. You know, I don't really want one of those things in my living room. And I know they were built by the lowest bidder. That really scares me to death. Well, and the ones who gave the most for a political campaign, that's even worse. Oh, boom, boom. <sighs> Don't let's start on politics with this. No, we have to start another show. <laughs> yeah.
1: So Tommy, let's um, let's talk a little bit about how we we found out about you. You came onto the Paracast forums after we had on Lloyd Pye with the Star Child Skull, right. and um, you kind of I guess you found out about the Paracast, and I, I'm imagining you heard that show, right? Actually, to tell you the truth. What had happened
4: was, well, I I hadn't heard of your show until I I did a couple of Google searches for various forms because um, I had done this work. And uh, and what was really neat about it, and and just to give you the the whole story, yeah. give us I was the setup. listening. To, yeah, this is the setup. I, I was listening to uh, Coast to Coast. Uh, unfortunately, there is nothing toast else to on it.
1: No, no, it's toast yeah. to toast.
4: Well, you know, at one o'clock in the morning, what else you got going on? You no, no, not I
1: understand. They've officially renamed the show Toast to Toast. The the hosts are. Oh, no, forget it. Okay, so you're you're, you're listening okay. to that show.
4: Yeah, I, I was hoping you were telling the truth because I thought, wow, that No, no, so no, much. no
0: before we rename the show officially if you're looking for a better way to present or collaborate during your conference calls your solution is simple web conferencing with GoToMeeting during your call everyone logs on to GoToMeeting.com And your computer screen shows up on their computer screens. It's like you're all in the same room. GoToMeeting is perfect for sales or product demos, training, or real-time collaboration. Plus, you're not charged per minute like other providers. You can meet as often as you want, for as long as you need. With GoToMeeting, you can meet with anyone, anywhere, without leaving your office. You'll not only save time, but money, too see for yourself try go to meeting free for 45 days just visit go com forward slash podcast that's go com forward slash podcast try go to meeting today Gene and I love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share
1: your thoughts with us send your messages to news at the paracast.com that's news at the paracast.com And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. This is the Paracast, with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietving. You never
5: know what's going to happen next.
0: You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietney. artist Tommy Allison joins us, and he got involved after listening to Toast to Toast, as it was making bagels or something. With he, Bobblehead and Cheesemonger. What happened next, Tommy?
4: <laughs> uh, I, I'm
0: Bobblehead. That's great. Wow, That's, Tommy. Uh, and my it's name so is Cheesemonger. Yes,
1: Cheesemonger
4: with his 12-year-old Filipino wife. So... I'm Dude, sorry. that is so wrong. What I but anyway, know. I was I was listening to the show and uh, Lloyd was uh, talking about this thing that he had this Star Child skull and uh, right. and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. You know, I, I thought here would be an opportunity to uh, to read up on something that was kind of unusual. I, I you know because I I love things that are bizarre and weird and and I thought, well, you know, this guy has a pretty good spiel. It sounds pretty good. Let me go do some more research. So anyway, I went to his website, and I read everything that he had on I thought, wow, this is really kind of compelling. It looked like it was something that... Uh I was uh, really going to be interested in, in maybe getting involved with, and uh, I saw some of the artist's renderings that he had on there, and I thought, um, I think I can do a better job for him. You know, that was my thought. I can do a better job. And uh, here's the thing: is that uh, from my perspective, if this is something that is legitimate, 100%, it's uh, alien hybrid. What an opportunity to be affiliated with something that would be uh, one of the most remarkable finds in in history. Sure. You know. So Anyway, I go ahead and I, I email him a proposal that I, I wanted to do this for him, uh, do the forensic reconstruction, and uh, he was all gung ho about it, and uh, and I was cool with it too. And I had uh, I didn't want any money because I you know I I'm, I'm like this. I, I as I told David before, money has a way of getting in the way of objectivity. Uh, if somebody asks me to sculpt something for him, then I'm going to give them what they want. Otherwise, I don't get paid, and uh, and since I did this without payment, then that would there would be no way for other people to influence me in the outcome. Now, knowing what I know about, uh, anthropology and knowing what I know about anatomy, I, I took the, the original skull that he had sent me. It wasn't, uh, the actual original skull. He sent me this, uh, MRI prototype, which was, uh, about as accurate as accurate gets because, uh, the doctors at, uh, this one particular place that, that made it, they use it as, a, as a means for other doctors to plot out an operation. And so, uh, it was, you know, 100% accurate to what Lloyd had. And so, anyway, well, I, not Tommy, I
1: that, but but hold on for a second, because our audience may not know what an MRI prototype is.
4: An MRI prototype is is uh, what they do is they they do an MRI of the skull, and uh, they was that imaging. Magnet, magnetic, magnetic resonance, resonance
1: imaging, right? Yeah. So
4: anyway, they do that, and then uh, it is run the encoding from that is run through a rapid prototyping machine, and then it makes this plastic composite copy. Of what the skull was. So basically, it is an exact duplicate of the skull, only it's in this red polymer acrylic. And it's uh, partitioned so you can take it apart and you can see the insides and everything. And what I really thought was interesting about the whole thing is because uh, when I got the MRI prototype, it had even the sutures, you know, if one of the bones had fused together on it, everything was, you know, 100% accurate. And I thought, wow, this is really unusual looking at because of where the, uh, the auditory canal was uh, situated. Was was really low on the skull and and the uh, the size of the opening for you know the, the vertebra and and uh, spinal cord to connect and, and just it was such an unusual specimen that I thought wow this is really something else you know and uh, so anyway what I did was I made a set of molds off of that and then there was this partial upper palate that I had to uh, get a casting of uh, from this guy named Dr David Sweet up in Canada who runs the Bold Lab and uh, and I got that from him and I made a set of molds off of that and then I returned of course the mid- Materials to both people, and uh, and then from there I proceeded to do this forensic reconstruction uh, using forensic templates, and uh, you know I used human templates because that is my impression of it. It was that it was a, a human more than an alien, as other people have stated that they believed that it was some kind of uh, hybrid.
1: Mm-hmm. Before you continue, but, Tommy, let's just just backtrack for a moment. So you took on this project of a forensic reconstruction. Had you ever done anything like this before?
4: Yeah, I did two other ones uh, for a couple of clients that had asked me to uh, one was a taxidermy project um, and another one was for a client who I, I can't name right now because it's got there's something more to it that, that I can really discuss at this time Okay, but um, the issue is is I've, I've done this before I'm pretty good at it i uh i know a lot of other people that do this stuff and they you know they have as much education if not less than i do and so it it is a skill to to be able to do it but it's also one of those things where you'll see a lot of other people do it and they won't put the research into it and and i put i put about a month of uh, just straight research into this thing because I was what I was looking for was accuracy more than anything else. This thing was not going to be a space alien. It was going to be accurate. Because when you when you look at the bone structure that uh, I had to work with, because I had this uh, MRI prototype, it, it told me a story in and of itself. You know, the bro- bone structure was incredibly delicate. Um, the orbital sutures and and everything else like that that you could see where it had been broken off. These were things that were very delicate. This was a, a specimen that was very young it was uh, very very delicate though and that you can see where you know your um, zygomatic arch joins at the back of the skull that forms the cheekbone you could see just how delicate this thing was and so with that said you know uh human beings generally as a rule, don't have these types of qualities. When you look at their your bone structure, you look at a five-year-old. 5 year old's going to have a bone structure that's a little more substantial. So, you know, this was the thing that hooked me because I was, like, looking at this thing going, well, wait a minute, this is obviously – something that's not been seen before. And then, uh, as I would do more and more research, then I I developed a different opinion. I believe that uh, it, it was probably more along the lines of somebody who had progeria, because progerians have similar, or if not, you know, identical structures in some ways. If you do enough research on it, you'll you'll find out.
1: Well, let's describe to our listeners what progeria is, exactly.
4: For what progeria is, it's a disease that causes you to age rapidly. And uh, if if you ever saw the movie The Aurora Incident, or is it The Aurora Encounter? It uh, had Jackie Elam in it, and it had this uh, child. His name was Mickey somebody. But anyway, he was uh, a child that had progeria, and he played this alien in this movie. The story is about the, uh, the Aurora incident that happened down in Aurora, Texas, where uh, they believed that a space alien crash-landed there and died. And uh, only in the end of the movie it goes a little different. But uh,
5: hmm.
4: anyway, this kid had progeria, and I remembered this... Because somebody had made mention of it. I think it might have been History Channel or it was a friend of mine, but uh, I remembered seeing this movie because, and I thought, wow, it's really bizarre, but this kid didn't need any makeup. They didn't use hardly any makeup on this kid. All they did was put him in a costume, yeah. and that was it. And he looked unusual. And so I thought, <laughs> well, maybe this is what this is. You know, maybe this is something along that vein. And the more research I did looking for the right aesthetic for, you know, the finished sculpt, the more I realized that progeria could be a very sensible answer, you know, because uh, I I saw some progerians with the low set ears and uh, they had the odd shaped skulls. And if if you don't know the whole story about the skull, it it comes out of this place called Chihuahua, Mexico. And uh, at least that's what the story is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mexicans, uh, and I'm not using this as a stereotype or anything, but of that time, children were boarded quite a bit. Mesoamericans, uh, a lot of Native Americans even boarded their children, so they'd have these unusual flattening of the skull. You'd, you'd see it on uh, periodically different specimens. And uh, with this, you know, it had a lot of those earmarks, but imagine if this was a progerian child who was aging rapidly, the bones would suture, and it would you would have almost this identical end result. At least that's, that is my perspective. I, I don't claim to know anything any more than, you know, Anybody else, but uh, when I broached that subject with Lloyd, he assured me that it wasn't, and uh, a few other people that are peripherally involved, they seem to have you know their own opinions about what it was. And so, with that said, you know, I I still I wanted to remain as uh, as objective as I could, and I wanted to err on the side of it being human, so that way it didn't look like I deliberately went out to sculpt an alien. That was the thing a lot of people have asked me: is well, did you set out to to make this thing look like an alien? I I had to people know because if you've ever seen the finished art that i did for this thing it looks very alien but it's not meant to be because the material i used uh is a stuff called epoxy sculpt and batches vary in color in hue and believe it or not when i took the pictures this was just the way it was it wasn't painted or anything this is just the material's color
3: This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown? Things that go bump in the night? UFOs Time Travel Area 51. The Philadelphia Experiment. Shady Government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to conspiracyjournal.com or email Tim Beckley at Mr. UFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world.
1: We're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: Here you're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney We have Tommy Allison, an artist, UFO researcher, investigator. He's talking about taking the Star Child skull and trying to build a graphic image from that particular item. So let's go on with this.
4: So anyway, like I said before, it was one of those things where, in order to remain objective, in order to not give people what you know they wanted, I had to go with this idea that this was a progerian child. And, you know, when you think about it, if you see a progerian, you know, you're going to think that this could be a space alien if you're uh, one of those types of people who are inclined to see aliens and everything. You know, when I went about this to go with the the final aesthetic, I wanted it to have that look because you know, it still looked human, markedly human. From start to finish though, that was my belief, that this was a human person and that I, I wanted the finished result to reflect, you know, that there would be more human, you know, uh, more humanity in it than, than let's say, an alien. So anyway, I I'll go ahead and I do this thing, and I and I'm corresponding with Lloyd, and and, and getting emails, and uh, getting high praise from the whole thing. Tommy, oh, sorry, before
1: you continue, well, I just want to ask a question. I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a moment. You're being very honest in stating that you were approaching this with a preconceived notion that this was, in your opinion, most likely not a hybrid creature. Now, let's just say I, I said to you, well, gee, doesn't that show a certain level of subjectivity on your end? I mean, and it's interesting because of the fact that when I saw the finished pictures, I mean, they were basically green. It didn't look human. So uh, it's interesting that you're saying that you know you you started out with a certain attitude about what this was and, and I'm not saying I disagree with you I'm just playing devil's advocate here for a moment because what would you say to someone who would say to you well gee it sounds like your mind was made up and did that uh, did that influence how you built up the reconstruction of the skull, then?
4: Well, not really, and for two reasons. Um, The skull tells a story by itself. Uh, The thickness of the skull gives you the tissue thicknesses. There There are proportional equations for all of that. So that part of it is not me. That's not my... Interpretation, because I have to go. I have to look at the data. I have to, you know, I measured the skull thicknesses uh, from the uh, the MRI construction, and uh, and then went from there. You know, so that is not interpreted loosely. So I, I okay. can't really I can't really inject my own, you know, personality or my own ideologies there, because um, when you do forensic reconstruction, you look at the, the bone thicknesses, and you, and you you also look at the bone density. You also look at uh, many other uh, things that will tell you just how much uh, tissue goes on there because the more tissue you have the heavier your bones are going to be and and when you look at this, this when you look at how delicate this I don't know if you're able to look at it or not uh, there but uh, I have the whole progression on a, on a website you can see from mm-hmm. start to finish how I built it. absolutely up. yeah um, Everything that I had to work with was very delicate, so there was not a whole lot of tissue to really work with. I mean, when you talk about when I was talking about how you know the, the musculature and everything went on, everything went on in stages. And so, knowing, like I said, what I know about anatomy and physiology, and knowing what I know about uh, you know doing this sort of thing with the forensic templates and all of that, there was really no error, you know, or no room for for me to, to, to make it look human or make it look like. An alien, because I, you know, I, I went with what I had, and that was the thing: is that you know, I even because uh, I, I conferred with, you know, three forensic anthropologists, two regular anthropologists, a, a geneticist, a dentist, uh, an orthodontist, uh, two chiropractors, people who are far more learned than I am. These were people that I dealt with, and one of them was, you know, like I said, Dr. David Sweet up at Bold Lab in Canada, who is one of Lloyd Pye's, you know, people. They work together, and so and this guy had he had some different things to say about because he wasn't really sure that the, the upper palate that he sent me, this maxilla, this little portion of it, was it actually belonged to this skull, but that's what Lloyd says, so there it is. Dr. Sweet
1: had an issue with that statement of Lloyd's?
4: Well, he believes that the maxilla doesn't really belong to the skull. He just uh, It just didn't look right, apparently, to him. Personally, I think it fit just fine for two reasons. There was a portion of the orbit left. You can see the, the, suture, the zygomatic suture for the cheekbone and where it joins the orbit. For the eye, and uh, there was just enough of that there for me to uh, to get the, the the size of the eyes, and so I sat there. I was like, well, I personally I think the thing worked. I thought that the the, the that partial maxilla was belonging to the skull because it did fit. It, it's not like a piltdown man where you can grab a jawbone off of something else and stick it on there, because jawbones, I mean, they will pretty much fit. You know, like my jawbone will fit on your skull. You know, uh, it, it doesn't matter how goofy it, it may look it's still going to register pretty much in the same spot if we're of comparative height. Well, this thing, I mean, I actually had to create a, a new lower mandible and everything for it and using, you know, the forensic templates and then using the spacing and, and the size of the upper palate that I had to reconstruct. There's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of research and a lot of work that went into this. There's a necessity for accuracy because, it, you know, if, if somebody was to tell me, hey, you know, I need you to, to make this look as alien p- as possible, then... I could have saved myself a, a couple of grand and and, uh, and not made a set of molds and not poured castings of of the pieces to, to work from. You know, I mean, I didn't have to uh, waste a whole lot of time doing all this research. You know, I could have just said, "Hey, I tell you what, I got your pictures, of your skull. I can blow it up to size, and I could have just made him an alien that to go around it." And that was the thing, and that's the reason why I didn't get paid. And that was the other reason was that I wasn't out to make this thing look like an alien. You were
1: putting your own money into this, then?
4: Well, it's it, there's there's materials involved. I you know I spent uh you know I spent probably close to a grand you know just uh, putting things together, and that's you know but that's money that's that's you know that's the time I put into it. That's the materials. Right. You know, uh, you know, I charge people. $110 an hour to, to work for him, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, cause it actually, the sculpting part of it only took me about four and a half hours start to finish. The research, the castings took time, but the sculpting is, is very quick because the material I work, with, I work with called Epoxy Sculpt, it sets up in about three hours. You know, I do the tertiary layer of the rebuild on the cheekbones and then made the lower mandible. That took me like a day. And then uh, flushing it out didn't take me that long. It only took me, like I said, about four hours. If you look at it from that perspective, then it's, it's really not that costly. I mean, I, I had a hell of a time doing it. I had a lot of fun doing it. I had a lot of fun interacting with all these different people. From all of these different places, and getting knowledge that uh, you know, I was really doing my best to get something that was accurate because uh, everything I'd seen on Lloyd's site or anywhere else for that matter just didn't have that that accuracy. It just didn't look right. I mean, when you look at the stuff that's on Lloyd's site, that's people drawing stuff. I mean, I'm, and I'm not denigrating anybody's artistic talent. If you look look at the skull and it, and the, the skull will give you ninety nine percent of the answers you need. But anyway, it's so it's
1: not an issue of artistic interpretation. It's An issue of forensic accuracy is what we're really talking about here.
0: And I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, let's explore the end result and the reaction to that end result in the second part of this week's episode of the Paracast.
1: Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietney.
0: We're back with a PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and artist Tommy Allison is here. He got involved in a project to do a forensic model based on the Star Child that was presented by Lloyd Pye. So you spent time doing what you felt was the most accurate representation of what this skull looked like. Okay. Oh, yeah. So what happened next?
4: What it is is that uh, I had all these uh, great interactions with everybody that was involved with uh, the Star Child. And uh, and then... um I sent uh, a Lloyd a mock-up because I thought you know uh, you know they're they're trying to raise money for various research projects trying to get the DNA analyzed that sort of thing and I had this idea that I was gonna make a promotional poster and so I go ahead and I sent him a mock-up of the poster and uh, rather than put the star child on there I put hybrid on there because I didn't have the rights to the star child yet and I've worked with so many different people that if you jump the gun it looks like you're you're doing something you're not supposed to mm-hmm. and so it was one of those cases where i was damned if i did and damned if i didn't you know so i go and i send lloyd this uh this mock-up and then he tells me that i have to uh i'm gonna have to pay royalties to use my own image and i was like um what well well, here's the thing is that uh, i had no problems sharing my work with these people i had no problems whatsoever these people were very nice very gracious i go ahead and i send him this thing and i'd been a hundred percent you know, public about everything I've done. You know, I went to your guys' website and several other websites and posted pictures of the progress and, and, you know, just to show the work. And I I did a lot of promotion for this thing because, uh, I still want to see what the end result is, whether or not it comes out as being a, a hybrid or or a space alien, or if it's a human being, I don't care. I just want to know. So anyway, I, I was willing to go ahead and, um, give these people some art to sell, you know, I was going to make castings of the thing and, uh, uh, you know of the of the of the finished result and you know i was i was happy you know to be involved with this and then uh, lloyd tells me i'm gonna have to pay royalties meanwhile these guys are using my images for free you know lloyd has shopped them around to a couple of different uh, media outlets and whatnot and and one of which was ufo magazine and uh, and uh, so anyway i go ahead and i you know i i get kind of my nose in a twist over it because i'm like being told you know that i gotta pay to use my own art when i haven't been paid a dime for anything uh i'd like to make you know some money to recoup my costs on on the production and, and thirdly here was a bunch of art that i was going to give to these people to make money for them and so i was like uh i'm not sure where this is going so anyway he tells me to get a lawyer involved and of course i, I have a lawyer and you know my lawyer says well this is what we're going to do you're going to, you know, divorce yourself from Lloyd Pye and his group. rescind any permissions that you've given him to use your work. I did that, and that's when things went south, and they went south really fast.
0: I would expect that's probably what would have been expected well, to happen, yes.
4: Well, that's just it, is that, you know, if you tell me to go get a lawyer, right? And I'm, and well,
0: yeah, if I was, well, that's already an insult, because you're Dems saying, okay. Dems fighting words, as we right. say. Dems
4: fighting words. I, I have a lawyer. I've had a lawyer on retainer for 10 years, and uh, if somebody's going to tell me to go get a lawyer, well, hey, I have no problems doing it. You know, it it, it makes no difference to me. I deal with the issues of copyright and trademark and, and all that stuff almost on a daily basis because there's always somebody out there that's either stealing your stuff or is reproducing something that you've made, you know, that, you know, is taking money out of your pocket. My thing was, you know, here was this uh, this guy telling me that I need to get a lawyer to use my own art. And meanwhile, he's, you know, passing it around to everybody and their brother. And there's nothing I can do about it, really. But I really don't care because... Uh, you know, it's part of this thing that I, I believed in. I believed in doing this project. Was there any legal
0: agreement, contract, verbal no, email about no, this?
4: No, no, no. I said uh, I sent in an email that you know you could, he could use my images, which wasn't a problem. But here's the thing: is that there's no written agreement, no contractual agreement, uh, no financial agreement between me and him or anybody. Mm-hmm. So, by reciprocity, just by that alone. I would have no problems using my own art because, for one, it's not their skull that I'm using. Well his
1: ownership was what I was gonna ask. Is he claiming well, intellectual it, 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 property with well, a skull?
4: Well, yeah, that was it. And that's fine because see I don't own the rights to the Star Child name, you know. That was the thing, is that you know, here I you know, I was waiting to to get in touch with these people that actually own it, because Lloyd doesn't actually own the skull. And so anyway, I'm trying to get a hold of the people so that way I could, you know, make some kind of an agreement with them. I heard nothing, knew nothing about these people until my lawyer got involved. And so anyway, it isn't shortly after that that, uh, you know, um, I start getting these inflammatory emails from Lloyd. And uh, and then and then as it would turn out, you know, I, I, I finally get a hold of this other these other two people, Ray and Melanie, and I send them an email, and then uh, they're apparently wondering what the hell is going on, and so they've cc'd stuff to Lloyd, and then it's come back to me, and 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 then I'm I'm ccing both of these parties and the emails that I sent, and basically what it boiled down to is that uh, it became uh, a smear campaign against me, telling them that they never liked any of my stuff or he never liked any of my work, and it was not right and that it looked like Don Imus and all kinds of really insulting stuff. And then the worst, the the worst. Unless you're a
0: Don Imus fan, then you might find it complimentary. I don't know.
4: Well, of course, of course. But the most unkind cut was this email that I got that was accidentally sent to me. Where he says that I have uh, emotional problems and and all this other stuff, and uh, and I, I was like, you know, that is libel. That is. Slant. He said that to who? Said that to these people that I had emailed. To who owners. actually owned the skull? Yeah, it has okay. now. Been, uh, I could almost read it to you. I'll, I'll bring it up. He says where uh, it has now been found out that I have I suffer from emotional distress, and I was like, well, yeah, I do. Uh-huh. I suffer from emotional distress when somebody lies about me and does things behind my back. You dirty lion snake! You know, and it's like I was pissed. You know, I was really angry. And so anyway, this this guy, you know, you know, and then he sends me all these these you know hateful emails after the fact, like he's you know like he's lecturing me like he's my dad or something. And I, I was just like, you know, yes, I've met it. a lot of I've met a lot of frauds in my time, but uh, you know, you know, I, I just can't. He was by far the most egregious jackass I've ever met. And I, I use that term very rare when I when I talk about people. It was a fact that this guy had just, you know, he had said some things that were not true. He had done a bunch of things that were not true. Because I have all these emails that are completely the opposite of, of what he says about how much he hated my work or how he needed to be disassociated with it because it wasn't accurate and all this other stuff. And I was just like well, wait a minute, if you were so upset with my work, then why were you sending my work to UFO Magazine? You know, if you were going to divorce yourself from me, you know, uh, mm. that long ago, then why were you just up until the other day going to use my, my art in your book? You know, there was a the thing is that, you know, I had, uh, you know, I, I got my lawyer involved and uh, we were ready with cease and desists and everything for this guy because we were going to stick it to him because, you know, he wanted to, to you know, to bully me. And that's not how it worked out. Tommy, tell us
0: about the experience with UFO Magazine. Before you do, let's have a cliffhanger. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception day and night, especially night when it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio. And the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting our site theparacast.com that's theparacast.com right now click on the Sea Crane sponsor button to order the CC Radio Plus for one sixty four ninety five, and that includes free ground shipping and a free Sea Crane catalog place your order today
1: Gene and I love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts with us send your messages to news at that's news at and don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast
2: with James and David B.N. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're in part two of our session with Tommy Allison. We were talking about his forensic reproduction of the Star Child skull and the aftermath. Okay. UFO Magazine is involved. What happens next?
4: He had sent some work to, to Nancy Burns of their UFO Magazine, and I didn't know. I knew nothing of it. I had actually sent them a portfolio of my own, just a little thing there, because I would like to contribute art, you know, because I, I thought, you know, this is a new venue for me. Why, why not? You know, why not go with it? Sure. And so anyway, one of her subordinates got my portfolio and then forwarded it to her. And then, you know, she finally got in touch with me. She's wanting to use my images in conjunction with Lloyd's Starchild article, but she knows nothing of what has just transpired. She knows she doesn't know that me and Lloyd are on the outs. And so anyway, you know, Lloyd is uh, you know sent he sent me this email. It was just really kind of crappy. Uh, he was saying that uh, you know he hopes that Nancy pulls my art off of the cover and all that other stuff and and blah 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 blah. Meanwhile, she's still you know even though she knows. Now, because I've told her, I said, me and Lloyd are having a falling out over this kind of thing. She goes, well, I still want to use your art. And I said, well, okay, well, you know, uh, I'm not sure how Lloyd feels about it, but you know what? I'm happy to do it. You know, I'm happy to be the bigger man and let her use my art, you know? And so anyway, I'm cool with it. You know, I'm, I am I don't have any problems with it because they're going to do, uh, they were going to do something with me. And, and, and Nancy is incredibly gracious. I, I You know, when it comes to people that are just, you know, uh, really great to talk to... I sing her high praises. So... (laughs) You know, yes. none of this stuff, none of this stuff, you know, reflects on her. And, yeah, and we both should. know
0: Nancy Burns, yeah. and she's a wonderful she's,
4: lady. Uh, let me tell you, you know, a classier woman I have yet to meet outside of my mother-in-law and my Aunt Barbara. But that's, you know, that's, you know, she, she was super sweet to me on the phone. And, and, you know, it's very rare that you meet somebody that actually has, a, when they talk to you, they're 100% genuine. You can tell just by the way she spoke to me. And so anyway, now that I've, you know, been a, a thorough kiss-ass, uh, I'll tell you what happened after that and so anyway we're cool everything is fine i sent email to lloyd saying hey nancy's going to use my work in conjunction with your your story you know i was pretty pretty cool about it, it wasn't meant to be you know inflammatory and uh you know i said you know i'm, I'm hoping that you know this is cool that's it you know and uh, and apparently he took it way out of context and so anyway he sends me this hateful email back along with this other thing where he, he says i suffer from mental problems and whatever you know and uh by accident that one and I, I called nancy and i said you know what i i don't think i can work with this guy at all
0: yeah <laughs>
4: <laughs> it was just like that you know and i hope nancy didn't didn't uh, take it that i was being uh, overly dramatic or anything but it was like this guy had made me mad And he had made me mad in a way that not many people do. It's unfortunate, you know, because, um, you know, the second email I got to him in regards to this, and I forwarded it to David, actually.
1: Tommy, let me ask you something. When you first started looking at the Starchild website and you saw these artistic renditions that other artists had created, did you express your opinions about those renditions to Lloyd? And if if so, what did he say?
4: I I really... The only thing I really said to Lloyd was I thought I could do a better job for him. Mm -hmm. I could make a better... Not just aesthetically, but I wanted to make an artistic uh, statement that was accurate. Everything I had seen, and if you you look at his stuff, I mean, it's just not accurate. Everything is... It's stereotypical. It's an alien gray. That's exactly what you're going to look at if you're looking at this thing. it's, It's It's... that's all you see. And um, and so with, you know, doing a, a reconstruction like I did, it was going to be, you know, a lot more accurate. But, um, you know, that was the only thing I told Lloyd. I, I just wanted to do something better.
1: So, But he was open to you doing this, and he didn't, I guess, I'm wondering, did he express to you what he hoped he would see? In your reconstruction, did you feel there was any sort of a, a prejudice on his part or a suggestion on his part that he wanted to see maybe one thing or the other out of what you were coming up with?
4: The thing of it is is that, uh, and then this is like I said, I forwarded you the actual email that uh, that I got. It was this email that I'd gotten from uh, from him with this strange little uh, alien gray. It was from an Amico ad. Mm-hmm, right. And... Um, it was really weird because it actually came from somebody else. It came from a guy named uh, Andrew. Anyway, if you look at the art, uh, you know, it, it, there's this this alien from Amico and it had kind of like the same kind of head. Well, it, there was, I think that there was to a certain degree a little bit of uh, pressure to, to come around to that sort of result, but, you know, it didn't really get in the way. So I, that, I you know, I, I disregarded a lot of stuff that uh, Lloyd and a couple other people had said because, you know... <laughs> It was gonna look weird enough as it is. Right. You know? It's it's like I don't need to do anything unusual to this skull to make it look any more alien than it already is. hmm It's like, you know, when you have that I had the partial palette and uh, if you if you wanna go check it out it's on my comic space page. You open up uh, just the first page for, from it. You will see that that skull is—it's pretty unusual. What am I going to do to make it look more alien? You know, the only—the outside of putting big black eyes on it, a little tiny mouth, and no nose—that's really about all you're going to be able to do. You know, to to make this thing look like a like an alien that you would see, you know, in uh, any of the well, movies. A-
1: and presumably, if it's a hybrid, it has to have human and alien characteristics not look like just a gray.
4: Well yeah, I mean everybody that I've seen that has done the gray thing has made it look, you know, stereotypical it all look like the Whitley Streber thing, you know. Even if you look at the renditions on, on Lloyd's website, you know, most of the people they that's where they go. They go with the, the slanted eyes and, and to, to make it look more alien, but that's that should not have been the end result.
0: Well the assumption there is that the person or being is inheriting a large portion of their structure, their physical characteristics from the alien as opposed to the human
4: well it's this is a thing that david and i discussed earlier was that uh, this is supposed to be a boy child if you look at the dna result it says it's a boy well if that's the case and that means there's an x chromosome and then like you know david and i both discussed you know this is something that is you know i think it was probably far more human than anything else that's just my own speculation when you give something alien features you know, you, you better damn well have the DNA to back it up. Right. Now, <laughs> exactly. and, ju- and just, if you have two parts of the equation, right? The You have the child's DNA, which is, uh, it's a boy, but it's missing its father's DNA, but yet it's still got that mother's DNA. Well, you get most of your genes from your mom. You know you, you, it is a 50/50 deal on certain things, but most of your your biological genetics uh, come from you know your mother's side of the family. To say that this thing should take on one or the other would be ridiculous. It, it should look more and more like its mother. Then it should look like like a space alien for any any uh, for lack of a better term. But when I see what other people have done on Lloyd's site, and there's a couple of people who, who drew pictures and called those forensic reconstructions, which to me is almost laughable. You know, I mean, I can draw a picture as much as anybody, or as better, you know, as as good or as or better than some of these people on here. But yet, it's not going to reflect accuracy. You know, the only way you're going to get real accuracy is if you you know you have the the skull in hand and you can make all the measurements that you need and do a complete reconstruction. And that's exactly what I did. And I'm not saying that mine is 100 percent accurate because nobody really knows what this thing is going to look like until, you know, somebody takes it and clones it and turns it into a real person. You know, that's that's the issue. You know, I think that uh, what I've done was was accurate and was represented to be accurate by Lloyd until we had our falling out.
2: Want to hear from you, if you have a comment or a question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and Data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com.
0: Hey, let me tell and- our listeners, you're in the power with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to, we'll call him a UFO enthusiast, investigator, whatever, an artist, Tommy Allison. And we're talking about his forensic reconstruction of the star child and I guess the unfortunate aftermath. And I'm wondering here also now, where does it stand today? Obviously, you and Lloyd had this falling out. All this had occurred as of today, as of the time this show is being recorded. Where do you go?
4: Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in my corner and he's in his. I don't, I don't talk to him. He doesn't talk to me. We don't shoot emails between each other. Uh, It's pretty much concluded. Our business is concluded. He wants nothing to do with me and that's perfectly fine. You know, I, uh, I really want less than nothing to do with him. You know, it's just, uh, (laughs) it's, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I did all this work and, uh, and, and I'm not resentful for doing the work because I had a hell of a time doing it. And I had a great time talking with all these wonderful people, telling them what I was doing. And, you know, it was really wild because there were so many people that were just you know, really, really interested in this project. Yeah, you know, they were really interested, not just because you know it was it was unusual or because it could be alien, but because there was a lot of scientific research that could have been done on this thing, real science. And uh, and it was uh, it's one of those things where it's kind of how it's it's being dealt with and who's running things that that maybe we don't have all the answers that we need. I personally believe that uh, you know if we were to send this thing to the crime lab at Quantico, Virginia, you know they would probably probably. probably have a pretty conclusive dna result because those guys they don't screw around and they they do their business very well you know if there was any doubt that this thing was human you can better believe somebody would have already grabbed this thing and, and gone with it and i'm not saying lloyd's not legitimate i'm not saying that at all i'm saying that if there was enough uh legitimate interest in it then there would be people who would be gladly, you know, paying the price for this thing. You see, the problem I had
0: with Lloyd, and he seemed very gracious when we did the show, but as soon as we said, well, we don't buy it, of course, he was upset. But I think he has devoted a large part of the recent years of his life to making this real. He wants it to be real. This is going to be a vindication, and I think that's the problem.
4: I'd like it to be real too, and I'm sure that in some small way you probably would too. It would be some validation, not just for him, but for a lot of people, you know. And, and this is saying this is, and this is where I'm, I'm going to say some nice things about Lloyd. And this might come as a shock, but I know that he has quite an investment in this. You know, I I know that this is, you know, when you when you pair it all away, this is his thing. This is what he has going for him. And you know what? If it was to all fall out and, 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 uh, and turn out to be nothing more than just a deformed kid, I am still of the mind that he would have the grace and decency to, to tell the truth about it. And maybe, you know, probably write another book about how he did all this crazy stuff. But, you know, and, and that's, and that's, you know, might be being nice, but you know what? That's, that, that is the way he and several others who are affiliated with this have struck me is they, they would be intellectually honest about what they had. I think though, to a large extent, you know, what has happened is, is that they they probably don't have the resources that they want, you know, in order to do all this stuff. And I don't think that they're going about it in, in a way that is objective. I think that they would probably be worried that they would lose control of this artifact. And I think that that, that is, uh, in this type of uh, research that happens quite often. Let's say, you know, if you and I both were to have a radio telescope and we discovered a signal from another planet, well, you know, you saw the movie Contact, it's probably not too far removed from the truth what would happen next. And I think that would probably be, I think that is one of their greatest fears, is that, you know, it could go the same way for them. So, I have mixed emotions about Lloyd and his little group. I'm angry personally for some of the things that he has said, but... I have to, you know, I have to be honest and say, you know, I think that if it were to come out that it was uh, a fake, that he would probably be man enough to to say something about it or to to complain about it.
1: I have to chime in here, Tommy, because as Gene indicated, we received communications from Lloyd after he was on the show where basically his tone was absolutely malicious and destructive there was nothing constructive about it he was really bordering on 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 obscene it was really shocking actually i'll tell you this of all the guests we've had on the show um, and, you know, we're, we're known for asking hard questions and we're known for not buying into stuff instantly. I don't know, outside of um, one particular UFO religious cult that shall remain unnamed, I don't know that we've ever gotten as venomous a response as we got from Lloyd. And uh, here's the thing about it. When you start to look into Lloyd's background, what you realize is that this is someone who I feel is not intellectually honest. This is my opinion when you were saying that these emails came forward where he was essentially completely misrepresenting his thoughts about your work when it wasn't going in his favor that's a predisposition to being somewhat less than objective and honest actually i'm being kind about it you know that what he did in your case was essentially
4: to slander you well, here's the thing: is that you know, from my perspective, and this is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a I have a little more hope for humanity than than most people, even though I've I've seen a lot of bad stuff happen to me and yeah. to other people. When you have the facts presented to you, you know, let's say a, gr- a great example would be, uh, if you and I were to be sitting on our, uh, on a, on a front porch somewhere having a beer or whatever, and a spaceship lands right in front of us, and you and I are having a conversation about, you know, aliens don't exist, aliens do exist, and, you know, you're in the category that says aliens don't exist, and you're prevented, you're presented with the, the absolute proof. Could, do you have any way of refuting it? No, you I mean, don't. And, well, and, and that's the thing is that... In, in, well, in movie, ho- hold on, hold on. Well, no, but, I mean, here's
1: the thing. A ship lands in front of us. We're having that beer. A ship lands in front of us. Creatures walk out. I don't know that they're alien. Neither that. Neither do you. We know they're not human. That's all we know.
4: And that is the the case with Lloyd's thing, right? He's right. you know He claims this to be an alien hybrid or an alien or whatever. Well, if he's shown 100% that this is you know it's not a, an alien i don't think that he's going to be able to lie about it and i don't think that he'll you know it, it, it in the case of me and lloyd it's it's a lot like you know he said she said kind of a thing only it's he said right. he said and uh i have proof to back all of what i say up Right. you know and uh and you know and lloyd i think what his his problem with me was is that uh I think he might have seen he might have thought that I was looking for money out of his pocket or something, which wasn't the case at all. And 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 all of this started because of a a, of a misconception that he had on his end that I was gonna do something that I shouldn't. For fifty-eight
5: years
0: fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730. Or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com, what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Gene and I
1: love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at That's news at And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's
0: going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Begetney. We're talking to Tommy Allison, an artist who did a forensic reconstruction of the Star Child skull. You know, we've looked at the aftermath here. Do you come away looking at your handiwork? Do you think it's a hybrid? Does it look like a hybrid or just a human who is somewhat deformed?
4: Well, you know, I, you have to realize that the context that you're asking this question. I, I make things every day that are are not human or you know they're superheroes or god knows what. So for me to say does it does it look like an alien to you? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I see people in Minneapolis every day that, you know, borderline on, you know, uh, humanity. And and the thing of it is is that, you know, when I look at this thing, I wanted to give it a human soul. That was my thing, you know, I when I created this thing, I wanted to I wanted it to actually have you know a, a sense of humanity about itself because uh like I said before, I have, a, I have a belief that people are inherently good, and that good things, you know, should not be kept a secret. And with this this uh, this alien hybrids thing, I wanted to make sure that you know, if this thing was an alien, because an alien doesn't, when you see an alien, like the with the typical gray with the black eyes, it looks soulless. You know, it, it hits a chord with you that it is clearly not human. I wanted it to to, to be more human, so. I guess is an answer. I say it looks, you know, like a deformed kid. That's that's my thing. I, you know, that was the that was the road I took. And yet, at the same time, you know, it, it's only because of the the color of the material that I used does it look alien. Because um, you know, it, it if the epoxy sculpt would have dried either a gray or a white or a cream color, then we wouldn't be having the conversation about well, does it look like an alien to you? Well, I guess the question is, does it look human to you? That, that is the question I would ask you know, you guys. I mean, does it look human to you? You know, it, eh, you know, it, it doesn't look quite human to me. But uh, then again, I didn't see, you know, I didn't go out of the way to, to make it look like an alien. But at the same time, you know, you gotta have to have that balance in order. For for it to, you know, to look the way that it should, uh, at least to, if you're going to call it a hybrid, so it ne- it needs to have benefit <clears throat> the blending of both. So
1: right here's the thing: when people say they're researchers, that requires a certain level of responsibility. Now, on the Paracast, Gina and I have never claimed to be researchers. We are people who are interested in the paranormal. We're just normal people who are curious about these topics, who have a venue in which to discuss them. But I've never claimed to be a
0: UFO or a paranormal researcher. Neither has Gene, as far as I know. When you make I promise, claim- I haven't claimed. I think I did when I was very, very young, but I got over that real quick. Right, right. Yeah. Well, saying say one's a researcher requires a certain level of
1: responsibility. Now, if, if you go on Wikipedia... And you look at Lloyd Pye's entry on Wikipedia, um, which is, for the most part, um, a lot of this text is pulled right off of his bio, and already by Wikipedia standards, that's real questionable. But he claims to be a researcher. And so when you make that statement, guys, that, that involves backing that statement up with facts and with research. A researcher does research. So as you start to research this individual, what you find, and and again, this is something that we talked to him about when he was on the show, when he said to me, and this is an interesting, I think, an interesting point about Lloyd, and and again, in in trying to understand the claims that Lloyd's making, we have to look at Lloyd the person, because he's making claims. Um, When Lloyd came on the show, he said that anthropology was largely a self-taught discipline. You know, I, mean, I told. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> he said that. He said that on the show, and I called that into question. I I said that I had real problems with that, and you know, go over to Oxford University and let them know that you know anthropology is a largely a, a self taught discipline. Anthropology is one of the most complex <laughs> of the natural sciences. So he made yeah. that statement. I called him on that, and then he in an email to us. He absolutely denied making that statement. And when I pointed out, you know, I said, here's the transcript. Here's what you said. And I pointed out to him that he specifically stated that he was largely self-taught in anthropology, and he didn't feel that this was a a degree discipline. Um, when, when, When I pointed out to him, he said, oh, no, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I'm talking about the science of alternative knowledge, which is a field that Lloyd essentially made up. And it's it's he, he claims oh, yeah. to have coined this term alternative knowledge, which basically to me means the knowledge that's, alternate, that's an alternate to everything that is accepted knowledge. Now we have my brand of knowledge, which is alternative knowledge. And, and then again, we start to dig into his background, and we find that the best known of the books he's written is called Everything You Know Is Wrong. Now, when you have an author who claims to be a researcher, who has a book called Everything You Know Is Wrong, to me... Maybe it's my own personal quirk here, but that calls into question his scientific objectivity. I submit that he has very little of that. And, you know, when he was on the show, he made a big point about, ooh, pre-order the first edition of my book that I'm going to sign because, you know... When it comes out that this is proven to be an alien human hybrid, your investment in my book is going to go up dramatically. You'll have made a good investment. I mean, that's not the; those are not the words of a researcher. Those are the words of a snake oil salesman.
4: Well, I guess then, then whatever investment you guys may have, you know, made in buying his book, I guess I got the great <laughs> version because I have the version that came out before this version. And and to be honest with you, you know, I, I again, it all goes back to you know, I like to look for the best in people. And it is my sincere, it is my sincere hope that uh, Lloyd, you know, whether it comes out one way or the other, you know, if it comes out the way that he doesn't want, that he would actually be, you know, he would be upfront and forthright with it. But you know, here's the thing, though. I mean, <laughs> to a large extent, you know, as angry as I am about what transpired between me and Lloyd. I still hold out hope that this thing is real, and, and and because you know it would validate a lot of my own beliefs, and and to agree to a degree yours, you know. I mean, when you think about sure. it, I mean, what wonderful knowledge it would be to know that you're not alone in the universe, and that That's
1: is a, absolutely, Tommy. And, and, and,
4: but it, unfortunately, it's got a messenger that you and I and, and a few other people may not find, you know, to be the most objective. Right. but it's a messenger nonetheless and so as angry as I am uh, about Lloyd and as as much you know uh, as, as much dirty dealings as, as uh, you know I could I could do against this guy you know I, I have no desire to to inflict any more you know uh, agony on the guy I mean what more can I do him that God already hasn't you know when you think about it it's you know I, I, I say that because uh, you know he's he's a guy that's uh, he's, he's the Don Quixote that character he's tilting at windmill you know, he's, he's to a large extent. You know, he's a guy that is trying very hard to uh, to get something going. You know, with this, and th- that part is to be admired. You want somebody to uh, to stand against uh, established dogma, but uh, does it have to come at the price of intellectual honesty? You know, if if you think that Lloyd is intellectually dishonest about this, I mean, that's you know that you know that is what you've said, not so much what I've said, because what I what I've experienced with Lloyd vis-a-vis his his project most of that has been you know uh, very objective because the the results that uh, that i showed him were not what he wanted he didn't want what I was originally producing for him because he wanted to uh, he wanted this thing to look you know uh, far more alien I think at least that is my perspective and and from you know I think that he expected it to look more alien I should say and when you get back to it you know uh, and and by me not delivering what he wanted but he but he loved it nonetheless that's just it he said you know this you're right you know he he did, did several emails he said you know this is this is clearly the way to go on certain things
2: To hear from you, if you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gina and Data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com.
0: Let me just tell our listeners, yeah. you're on the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Tommy Allison, who did a forensic reconstruction of the star child's skull. Now, where do you intend to go from here now that this work has been done and it's over and done with complete? What's your next well, step?
4: I mean, my next step is, uh, I guess, um, you know, I, I guess I'll start creating T-shirts and, and castings and as much <laughs> merchandise as I can from it, so I can, uh, so I can at least profit from my uh, from my endeavor, you know, uh, of creating this thing. All things being what they are, you know, I, I bear uh, no ill will towards Lloyd. I'm just annoyed that uh, that things had to turn out the way they did, you know, and. Uh, where, where I go. I mean, I've, my career is exactly what it is. You know, I, I work as an artist. I have more people, you know, wanting me to do work for them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not affected by, by one bad, you know, experience with, uh, the UFO community. Because, I mean, I've, after, after I did this work for Lloyd, I had several other people approach me to do work for them. And, uh, and some less legitimate than others, you know, let's just say that. And, um, but then again, this, this, uh, this is a genre that is rife with wackos and fringe elements and, and all these people that are just a detriment to it. Because if you look at it, I, I believe, and I, I told David this, I believe there's a concerted effort to marginalize this movement uh, any kind of ufo truth any kind of uh, expose uh, exposing the that there might be extraterrestrials because if if it were made known that these beings were visiting us and all this other stuff that would mean that uh, okay then they they obviously don't care enough life is prevalent in the universe to the point of where they can openly disregard us as being a, a sentient life form you know it's like uh, every day we 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 hear about you know new species found in madagascar or whatever or, or a, a little mule deer is found in vietnam and the world knows about it i would mm-hmm. imagine that in the universal you know context that we would be in contact with aliens much in the same way we would have uh, visited the pilgrims when, you know, uh, we land on a Plymouth Rock. You know, I I think it would be a lot like that. You know, uh, they would probably have the same value, if not more, of life than we did. And so it would be, you know, just as explosive to them that we exist that they do to us. And, uh, you know, because the universe is a big place and, you know, how do you know who your neighbors are? You know, if uh, if you can't see them, that sort of thing. I, I guess maybe I'm, I'm kind of getting off track here, but
1: no, I think I think these are all relevant points, Tommy. And I think it's important to point out that taking any kind of middle ground in the paranormal realm, and we were talking about this right before we started the interview with you on the um, show preamble. The fact is that taking any kind of middle ground in the field of paranormal re- research, quote unquote, or the discussion of paranormal topics is very difficult like so many segments of our society what we find is that the the discourse in this realm tends to be very polarized people are either vehemently against or for a certain position and when you try to be, I won't even say scientific, scientifically objective, just intellectually objective about this, you end up making enemies on both sides of, of the fence. What you said before is very true. I know that speaking for myself and I think also for Gene, we would like it so much. We would be so happy if something like this was proven beyond any reasonable doubt and in a truly objective scientific way to be genuinely paranormal. If this thing was truly an alien-human hybrid, that would absolutely thrill us. Listen, at this point, I, I've been spending a lot of time debunking UFO photographs. And on Above Top Secret, there have been a couple of people on the Above AboveTopSecret.com website where I've become you know, somewhat more active. There have been people who have accused me of being an NSA operative, of being a quote-unquote debunker, um, because I find issues with any number of of the faked, in many cases, poorly fabricated hoaxes that are presented as genuine UFO photographs. And the thing is, I'd like nothing more in my life than to be able to point at a photograph and say, in my opinion, there's no question that this is an unidentified flying object. And I actually believe that there are photographs that fulfill that requirement, which of course doesn't provide ultimately anything you have a photo of a ufo and that's all you've got you don't know anything else about it you just know it's not one of ours so in the case of the the star child skull if it was proven beyond any reasonable doubt in a scientific fashion that this thing was a genuine alien human hybrid well i guess the magic question is what does that get us? Where does that put us? Does that mean that most of the world will even pay attention? I don't know. I'll tell you this. When we talked to Lloyd, one of the first things I asked him was, Lloyd, you say that this thing was supposed to have come out of a certain area of Mexico. Have you made any effort to mount a mission to go find the rest of the skeleton that was attached to that skull? Because if there's a skull, there's a skeleton that goes along with it and if you know it within some reasonable uh, degree where this thing was found, then it makes sense to me to try to find the rest of it. I, I believe the story was that it, the, the, the that, a, that a girl found these two skulls, this skull and a, and a clearly a dull human skull, in a cave. Mm-hmm. Well geez, go try to find the cave. Go try to find the rest of the skeleton. If you're going to be intellectually honest about this. Mount a mission to see where the rest of this might be. Go speak to people in the area. Go do some cultural anthropology and try to find out if there are any kind of stories in the region that support this idea. Because you'd think if this was genuine, that there would have been some kind of oral tradition that would have passed the story down. When we asked Lloyd about this, he was really just negative. He's like, well, no, it's a big area. Why would
0: I go look there? It's like, that's not an answer. That's not something that a genuine researcher would tell you. It came across as some kind of excuse. Maybe he has the skull, if he were to get the rest of the skeleton, it would show it was just... A child, a human child, and that's it.
4: Well, like I said before, it's it's one of those things where you know I, I believe that if if this thing was to be legitimate, and I think that it, uh, and I'm not saying that it isn't because nobody really knows until you know somebody proclaims it or some lab somewhere you know uh, provides the uh, the father's DNA or whatever, and uh, you know you, you'll have a definitive answer, but uh, it's. It, it goes back to, you know, I, I know you guys have had some bad experiences with Lloyd and, and I myself have had uh, a really, you know, horrible one, too. But if you don't have a way to uh, to continue the, to purport a fraud, then you won't. You know, and I don't think that I, but Lloyd has never really struck me as being, you know, somebody who is absolutely fraudulent with this project. You know, he said some unkind things about me and he said some things that, you know, you know, he could get himself in a lot of trouble for. But when it comes to this, this is the one thing that, you know, he states a lot of facts and and a lot of things. And, you know, and this, like I said, I'm not singing his praises or anything. It's just that my experience with him on this project is that, you know, I think he would really like to get to the truth. And if he does get to the truth, I I would hope and and I'm, you know, again, I, I, I look for the best in people that he would be. Uh, upfront and honest and open about what happens. Well, because you know, I know... The
0: problem it. I had is that maybe you're right, and I all know, and I certainly you had probably a lot more interaction than David and I did. We had basically that show and some discussion I, before and after. And maybe... You're right. He really wants to get to the bottom of it. On the other hand, it's pretty clear that he is really hoping it'll turn out right for him because he's put a lot to get that approach, get that result. He's really immersed himself in areas where he thinks it's going to prove positive. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he didn't want to look for a skeleton, because a skeleton may show one way or the other very clearly what's wrong.
4: I'm not sure that you guys know the whole story behind that, because the skull and uh, the and whatnot, was there was apparently some kind of flood or whatever, and it washed away most of the remains, so that it wasn't going to be able to be found anyway. God, here I am finding myself, I'm, I'm defending Lloyd. <laughs> uh, well, that was never mentioned to us. I mean, that's the first I hear about. No, him. I thought that was on the website. I thought that might actually be on his website. You know, I asked him that same question, and, and uh, from what I understand, the rest of the remains, uh, that's how the skull got broken in the first place. It was uh, It was intact, and then it was destroyed by whatever cataclysm, I guess it might have been a flood or something because uh it, it, this girl that had found these things had uh, taken them over to a tree or something like that and put them under a tree where she was going to come back for them later and uh and when she came back you know there was some kind of flood and she was only able to find certain parts
5: you are about to enter another dimension A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier." Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with
1: us, send your messages to news at That's news at And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, talking to Tommy Allison about his encounters with investigating the star child, producing a forensic reconstruction, and the aftermath. David, go ahead, please. Well, we asked Lloyd about the skeleton on the
1: show, and interestingly enough, Tommy he never brought any of that up. I mean, he had an opportunity to present that, and he didn't for whatever reasons. Huh. I don't think we were particularly, well, you know, what I think about this doesn't matter. The listeners thought that I did go into this with a preconceived notion. And I admit that I had read the Wikipedia entry on Lloyd. And as I brought up before, when I read that somebody's written a book called Everything You Know Is Wrong, then I guess I did have a preconceived notion about him and that, you know, basically he had a preconceived notion about objectivity. And I don't think that's a reasonable stance. I mean, you know, everything you know is wrong.
4: Well, just so you understand, I'm not like, you yeah. know, trying to sing this guy's praises or defend him. I just, you know, I, I thought that uh, that you guys knew what I knew because I, you know, I read his website and, you know, most of the stuff on it. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm a pretty objective guy because that's, you know, when you try to do stuff that's accurate, you have to be objective. You can't just be making stuff up as you go. Sure, absolutely. Uh, which, you know, and and the thing of it is, is that I, you know, Lloyd never struck me as somebody that did that with this, with reference to this because, uh you <sighs> You know, my version of reality and your version of reality may be two entirely different things. Absolutely. You know, we we can have we can have differences of opinion, but when it came right down to this thing, I mean, you know, I I, I didn't have a, a bad experience with Lloyd as far as uh, legitimacy uh, on this or intellectual honesty, like you guys did. You guys had a completely different experience with Lloyd in that regard, and you know, that's that's you know that's something that's uh, you know you have to deal with Lloyd on. Uh, the experience that I had with Lloyd, you know. It, it was great up until, you know, uh, we had, uh, like I said, a, a misunderstanding. And, uh, but does that change my opinion of, uh, of, of the work based on that? No, not necessarily, because uh, a lot of the people that are peripherally involved in this are, are actually more educated than, than Lloyd, and, uh, and definitely more educated than myself. I mean, I've got a lot of college behind me, but uh, some of these guys, like this uh, this one particular guy named Dr. David Sweet, who works with uh, Lloyd, uh, he's going to be, I think, the equivalent of knighted in Canada. You know, yeah. this, this, is a, this is a brilliant guy. Uh, he runs the Bold Lab in, in Canada. When you have that kind of person working with you, then you know that there's a, a certain amount of legitimacy to the study and to the research and i'm not saying that you know lloyd has uh you know been 100 you know you know intellectually honest about anything i will say this though i think there are enough people around him that would would make those decisions as well you know would be able to uh to bring pressure to bear if there was any kind of uh impropriety because i mean here's the thing is that you know i I judge myself by the company i keep and mm-hmm. uh, and you know what sure. I I don't I don't think ill will you know towards people I don't I don't think bad thoughts about people until they you know they've done something really egregious and Lloyd has pissed me off but you know that's only between me and Lloyd you know I'm not going to sit there and rail on the guy sure because, you know, sure I've had one bad experience with him I clearly do not want this to be you know let's hate Lloyd together for a couple hours on the radio kind of a thing you know. Uh, because I, you know, that's well, no, 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 no,
1: Tommy, Tommy, we have to pull back from the personalities and just look at the facts.
4: I mean, ultimately- well, that's and that's and that's where I'm going with this is that right, you know, right. the, the fact is is that I, I personally have not had the the lack of objectivity with this because Lloyd, up until the time that that we had our falling out, agreed with ninety nine point nine percent of everything that I presented him with, all of my research that I did on my own, all of my sources, all of that stuff drove me to this conclusion, which he. Was happy with, and and that was the thing is that you know the the only the only time that I had any real problems with him was when we had our disagreement and he sought to marginalize me in the eyes of his uh, his people that he was working with. You know, it, it, it's unfortunate that he that he went out of his way to do that, but it, it and ultimately it worked out just fine for me because uh, I got a great piece of artwork that I can turn into to cash if I want to. I can make money and profit from it. And uh, and I had a great experience doing something that I was interested in. You know, this is this is a project that is you know it was really near and dear to my heart too. I really was uh, enthused to do it. You know, and, and well, yeah, Lloyd
1: sure to, sp- to spend that kind know, of time on it and effort. The,
4: the thing of this is that I approached Lloyd hundred percent. He didn't ask me to do anything. So you know, the when I look at this f- objectively, you know, it's it's just one angry person versus another angry person. But the work is still good. You know, there's there's still some meaning to this. Even if it goes absolutely nowhere, or if this thing languishes, at least you know there's somebody out there putting, you know, a, a different idea out there in front of the public. No, a- absolutely, and, and, and that's both valid. And, and from that, and for that, I can I can let go of a lot of my resentment and a lot of anger because you know, you have to admire somebody that, that flouts the, the norm. But at the same time, you know, like you're you're absolutely right. You know, let's let's be intellectually honest. Let's ask some of these questions. And I don't know why he wouldn't have told you some of the things that he told me. But then again, maybe it was because I had uh, several conversations with him on the phone right. i had different conversations via email and uh and maybe you know due to kind of time constraints that you had on with with him maybe he wasn't able to touch on that or right. get to it i'm not trying to you know to to defend the guy but i you know the benefit of the doubt i don't know what transpired between you two if i knew then then i would be uh, i would be able to, to say one way or the other well i think i
0: speak on and i think david would agree with me here that if he were to contact us again and we wanted to discuss our differences i'm certainly would be happy to do that. Well, we asked him. We asked
1: right. him, and he flat out said, no way. He actually said it in a really vulgar way. Okay. Oh, um, well, that's, un-
4: that's unfortunate. Yes. It's really
1: unfortunate. And, and here's the main point, though. Ultimately, trying to gain legitimacy in the eyes of the masses for these topics requires that we are all objective, that we try to be as intellectually honest as possible, that we all be open-minded. And um, Gene and I have really put a lot on the line with this show. We've both... I would say ultimately we've harmed our our professional careers by having this show and by being real visible with this because we are genuinely interested in understanding what the real truth is behind some of this stuff. Look, if it turns out that every UFO ever witnessed, including the ones I've seen, is a secret government project, I'll accept that. I'll accept any truth that ends up being confirmable, testable, provable. If all of this turns out to be absolute nonsense, well, hell, man, that'd be great. We can all get on with our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we could also (laughs) regain our lives, maybe. Well, yeah. So ultimately, and again, uh, Tommy and Gene, I mean, this is all about stepping back from the personalities and saying, let's look at the phenomenon. Let's forget about the personalities, because clearly, and especially in the realm of UFOs, the personalities have really poisoned the pool. And it, they've made it so that it is almost impossible to have a serious discussion in a mixed crowd. The minute you say UFO, you know, it's tinfoil hats and little green men. And we're trying to change the tone of that conversation. I really believe that's what we're trying to do. And if if it gets to the point where it seems like we're not having that effect or we're not doing that. I'm the first one to say to Gene, let's just kill the show, because what's the point?
0: I I think for now, we're going to continue to continue, as they say. Tommy, Allison, thank you so much for joining us on the Paracast. We look forward to having you back, maybe more into your own experiences and background. And maybe we will be able to find this meeting of minds with Lloyd Pye to pursue his information further. And we hope... The good things will come on future episodes of the Paracast.
2: The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.